So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Yeah, you can clap. That's, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's just like, can we, can we do this? Let's see what happens. So if you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, looking at verses 15 through 21. If, uh, if you have not been with us and this is your first time here, I'm not really going to recap the whole last two chapters, but let me just recap for you what uh, last week looked like. It is that last week in the middle of Galatians 2, we looked at the subject of conflict um, and I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that on our podcast to kind of help you follow along because there's really a theme in chapter two that Paul is following. But really here uh, that we looked at last week, Paul had called out Peter because he was acting in hypocrisy. And so Paul felt strongly about the implications of Peter's actions. He felt strongly that it was against the gospel message. And so he confronted him directly and he confronted him publicly. But remember what we looked at, the important detail here is that Paul doesn't do this just to confront Peter's issue, but he does this to point him to gospel freedom. And so Paul tells us this when he said in verse 14 that we read last week, that the main issue in Peter's and the other leaders' hypocrisy was that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And so ultimately, Peter and the other leaders were acting two-faced, that When he was with the Gentiles, when Peter was with the Gentiles, he was eating with them and accepting them. He was meeting with these other believers, but when the Jews came in, these other Jews from James, who were circumcised and who had been following the Mosaic law before Christ, Peter then rejected the Gentile believers in order to appease the Jews, even though both the Gentiles and the Jews were in Christ. And so when Paul says that Peter and the other leaders were not in step with the gospel, it's because the gospel is the good news that because of Jesus's works, we are set free. But Peter and the other leaders were not living set free. They were living under a weighty bondage, which was forcing others to do the same. But really to become a Christian is to become free that we're no longer under the the guilt and the shame of sin, trying to make up for it by obeying the law. So really, as we see the law, we wanna see the law rightly in the book of Galatians. Remember, Christ didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so really, we, we understand is that the law reveals our sin and points out our need for our savior. And so really, as we look to Christ, it's that Christ fulfilled the law in our place so that by faith in him, we could become free in him. And really in that freedom, we aren't walking in an independent freedom where we get to do whatever we want. Paul's gonna address this. No, he's gonna say, we're now walking in gospel freedom. And so this is what Paul is continuing to argue and to defend. It's gospel freedom that we live in and that we walk in. And so Paul is not only pointing out what people are doing wrong, What we also need to understand is that Paul is also directing them to what is right. He's not just pointing out the issue in them. He's pointing out the resolve to them. So in verses 15 through 21 that we're going to read, these verses are really all about Paul reminding the church and the other leaders of their gospel freedom so that ultimately there may be gospel unity. Now for us, we constantly need to apply the gospel. The gospel is not just 
the information, the, the details of Scripture of how we become saved. It's how we live as kingdom people. It's the truth about Jesus and what he's done for us and what he wants to do in us. And so what we're going to see and, and unpack from our text this morning is that we are justified by faith in Christ. And because we have been crucified with Christ, then it is by grace that we live in Christ. If you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks this morning, is that we are justified by faith in Christ. And because we have been crucified with Christ, then it is by grace that we live in Christ. And so we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there is so much in this text that without your help, we cannot perfectly understand it. And not because it is a confusing text, but because there is so much to this text. And so, Father, I just, I just pray this morning, I, I lay my notes before you. We lay this time before you. We lay all that we are before you. And, Father, I pray that as we go to unpack your word, Father, I pray that you would, you would grow us. You would mature us. And that whatever bondage we are walking in, that, Father, today we would walk out in freedom and that we would trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, God, we thank you for doing through Christ what we could never do. And so it's in his wonderful and perfect name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Paul begins this section, he reminds Peter that they are justified before God by the work of Jesus, not by their keeping of the law. Now, there's an important distinction to make about what Paul first states in the beginning of verse 15. This is important for us because Paul is clarifying that there is no difference between law-keeping Jews and Gentile sinners who have put their faith in Christ. And so the word sinner here in verse 15 is used in a limited sense. I want you to remember that piece because we're going to bring this back up later as we look at our text. The word sinner there in verse 15 is used in a limited sense. 
And so Paul doesn't mean that only Gentiles are sinners and Jews are not. He means that he and Peter himself as kosher Jews were not guilty of the glaring and constant neglect of the Jewish dietary laws. And so Gentiles were all automatically in the category of sinners. So in the sense that they neither knew nor kept the legal requirements of Jewish life. And so what Paul is saying in the first part of verse 15 is that he and Peter were brought up as law-keeping Jews, not law-neglecting Gentiles. But now both he and Peter have come to know, as he says in verse 16. They've come to know that no one can gain a just and right standing before God on the basis of their own efforts by keeping the law. And so they had known that there is no other gospel that saves you. They had known that there is no other system that saves you and there is no other works than Jesus's works that save you. And so really Paul is reminding Peter that they are in a unity of their theology here in this first part of verse 15. And what Paul knew was that even strictly observant Jews such as himself could never be considered right before God by what they did under the laws of Moses. Instead, he and Peter and every single Christian must believe in Christ. And so as Paul makes a defense for, for gospel freedom, in verse 16, he uses an important word, and that's justify. And in fact, he uses that word four times in this text. And justification is the exact opposite of condemnation. This is important for us to understand that as John Stott would say, to condemn is to declare someone guilty. To justify is to declare him not guilty, to declare him innocent or righteous. This is much like, if, if not completely, a legal term. So justification is the doctrine that God pardons and accepts and declares a sinner to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness where we then receive God's peace and God's spirit and salvation. And so justification is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from all works and merits of a sinner that we have been justified by Christ's works. But of course, when we look at this important doctrine, of course, the question comes up is, isn't that forgiveness? Isn't that, that given by God, by the grace of God, isn't that forgiveness? And, and sometimes people talk about justification and forgiveness as though they are the same thing, but they are not the same thing. And this is important for us to understand. It, it's true that they happen at the same time and they are inseparable. We need to understand the difference though, that no one is forgiven who is not also justified and no one is justified who is not also forgiven, but they are not the same thing. Here's the difference. Forgiveness is the subtraction of sin from your record, the removal. Justification is the addition of righteousness to your record, approval. So if I could say that simply to you, I would say that this is truly the great exchange of the gospel, that it's sin removal for Christ approval. It's sin removal for Christ approval. Let, let me tell you this way in an illustration. If, if, if God gave you a report card on your life without Jesus, what would it look like? 
It would, be, it would be covered with black marks for all the sins that you have committed. That in fact, at the, at the end of our life, God gives you and I an F if it's without Christ. We flunk every test. But when we come to Jesus, our F is washed away and our sins are gone. But now what grade would God give us? If that's been washed away, what grade? Does he give us a, a C, barely passing? Does he give us, does he give us a B, a, okay, but not great? No, not at all. See, the moment our failed grade is washed away, forgiveness, God gives us an A, justification. So we get the grade Christ earned because he finished his course as valedictorian. You don't barely pass by with God. You make the honor roll. You go to the head of the class. And here's why. It's not because of how good you are. No, it left to ourselves, we would still flunk every course because I've told you this time and time again, you and I are not that awesome. We get an A because we are united with Jesus Christ. So the same righteousness that once demanded that we get an F now demands that we get an A. So we are altogether forgiven. The record is wiped clean. We are declared righteous. We are justified. So remember, we aren't saved by what we do or who we are. We're saved by who he is and what he's done. That is grace. So your justification isn't on the merit of your own works. Your justification is rooted in faith of Jesus's works. And so justification then is the addition of righteousness, not your own, but Christ's. And so this is why we are justified by faith, not by our works, but by faith. And then because of this, we've been crucified with Christ when we put our faith in Christ. In verse 17, Paul asks uh, an important question. He says, is Christ then a servant of sin? And he concludes quickly with, certainly not. See, from the Jewish perspective, being without the law means being a sinner. And so according to this view, if Paul was teaching that justification in Christ requires that one abandon the law, and by that become a sinner, then the assumption was then Christ must be a promoter of sin because he was walking away from the law. But Paul addresses this issue in verses 17 through 20a, that it is absolutely critical, in fact, for us to understand and to see what Paul is admitting and what he's denying here. So the first thing we see that he's admitting is that he and Peter and other Jewish Christians are seeking their justification not in works of the law, but only in Christ. And then he's admitting also that in doing this, that they become sinners. Now here's what we must remember of verse 15 in the term sinner. It's the limited meaning. So what Paul means is that when a Jew trusts Christ for justification, he is free from the Jewish ceremonial regulations and may, if he chooses, neglect the dietary laws in order to eat with Gentile brothers and sinners. 
And so this is what Paul is arguing because people who live like this are called sinners by the Judaizers. This group of leaders that had come in to really flush out, really remove the gospel truth that they would be able to bring the law back in. So Paul accepts the term in that limited sense. Yes, we are found to be sinners in this sense by your view. That's what he admits. But he denies explicitly that this makes Christ an agent of sin. That it is not sin to be a sinner in this sense. You, you understand that? That he is saying it is not being a sinner as God would view sinner. It's by the view of the Judaizers that they are judging them. So it's not a sin to free yourself from the ceremonial Jewish laws in order to walk in love towards Gentile Christians. It is not sin to stop depending on works. And so ultimately what Paul is saying in this is that Christ is not the agent of sin. He's the agent of freedom. Freedom for God, freedom for love. That's Paul's answer to the Judaizers. Yes, Christ frees us from the works of the law, but he is not an agent of sin. And really here, the issue is that the Jewish leaders were trying to get the Galatians to rebuild the law, to really have Jesus plus the law that would equal their salvation. And remember, Paul is coming in and he's saying, listen, Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. So we don't look to our own way, to our own works. This is what the Jewish leaders would have the church do. They were trying to get the Galatians to not only rebuild the law, but the issue there is if they would have done that, then they would have become transgressors all over again, as Paul would say. And so we don't try to keep those things. Christ kept the law. Christ lived righteously. This is why the gospel is so incredible, because it's not about what we can do for God, but what God has done for us through the work of Christ. So then Paul makes it clear in verse 19 that he's not trying to keep the Jewish law or to live effectively in it even. He says that through the law, I died to the law so that I may live to God. So Paul reminds us here that the law does not lead us to salvation. It leads us to our need for our Savior, but our Savior is not found ultimately through the law. That Paul had died to the works-based righteousness system and that he would not and he could not go back. That the law's demands were satisfied by the death of Christ. And so verse 19 makes this amazing point that as long as you are trying to earn your way to God by works of the law, you cannot have a close relationship with God that the closer you try to get to God by your own works, you will in fact grow farther away and drive him from you. But it's through Christ's death and resurrection that believers have become free from the law and its curse. Because in our death with Christ, we are laying down our method and our merit and our works. So this is why in the first part of Verse 20, Paul says that he had been crucified 
with Christ. But here he doesn't refer to a physical death, but to the death of his former self. So by being crucified with Christ, we've now laid in the grave with, with him, with Christ, our former self. And so by this action, this means that we are not in Christ to continue in sin, but we are in Christ to live in Christ. And so what that means is that all that I am is laid before the cross of Christ and in its place, I receive Christ. So then life is incredibly different for the believer, for the one who is crucified with Christ. And so this is where Paul explains for us that gospel belief, our faith in Christ motivates gospel change. It motivates a different kind of living. And we see this in the second half of, of verse 20. Paul tells us how his life has changed because of Christ. That he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so let me tell you this, that's important for us to understand if we are to live in Christ. When the Bible tells us to believe in Christ and be in Christ, that we are in Christ, that Greek language is, it tells us there, that Greek language being used is active, that it's to believe into, believe into Christ. So let me give you an example of this. To be in this room as we are right now, we are inside this room. Are you tracking with me so far? But to come to be in this room, we had to come through these doors. You had to come through that door. You had to come through that door. But when we're on the other side of the door, we weren't in here. We had to move. We had to move from out there to in here. And that's when that, that word in Greek, ice, is a movement word. That when you are in Christ, you have moved into Christ. You move into something. And so when we are called to believe into Jesus in our justification, it's that we are in him and he is in us because we have believed into Jesus. We are now, as Paul speaks of again and again, in Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. So there's a different place for us that are in Christ. We're no longer out there. We have moved into Christ. There's a different position for us in Christ. This is part of the incredible outcome of our justification, that for everyone who is justified is now brought from outside to inside, and we are in Christ. That if I am in Christ, then I am a Christian, and you are a Christian if you are in Christ. And so then Paul concludes in, in verse 20 by telling us what life in Christ is like. Now that we've moved from the outside in, now that we've come into Christ, Paul defines, here's what life is like. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So right here, there are two beautiful details about how Paul describes life in Christ. 
The first, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God, meaning that our life in Christ is not one defined by our works, by our effort, all the things that we can do. We live by faith, not by works, not by sight. And Paul's title for Jesus here anticipates really the parallels he will draw between slavery and the law as well as sonship and promise. That faith in the Son of God transforms a person from a slave to a child of God. That as we live by faith, we're no longer under the bondage of the law, but we are under Christ. And then also, he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. So our life in Christ is a perfect display of the gospel. Paul describes here the sacrificial love of Christ in personal terms. That Christ's willingness to die on behalf of sinners really brings deliverance from the power of sin for those who believe in him. That it's salvation by grace alone, by God's loving act, that through faith alone, our trusting faith, that in Christ alone we would receive salvation that it is through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And so as Paul closes in this section in verse 21, here he gives a final defense. That is, he says, all of this does not nullify the grace of God. And so all of life for the Christian is lived here by faith. And so here, Paul puts his trust in the work of Christ on the cross. And so this is the big conflict issue between Paul and the Judaizers because the Judaizers would say, we take our stand upon the law plus Christ. But Paul would say, I take my stand beneath the cross of Christ. That I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not gonna try and live by my own way, by my own merit. I'm gonna live into Christ. And so for you and I, what this means is that if you, if you are a Christian, you should never stop reflecting on the greatness of the cross and the salvation you have received by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And let me tell you this morning, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you to look at the perfect Savior, Jesus, not yourself, not your works, not all the things that you think that you can do perfectly. Don't look to yourself, but look to Jesus. So if you want to be saved, if you want to receive salvation, it's not about all the things that you can do. In fact, you can't do anything. It's that you trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. This is where we are all together forgiven that our record is wiped clean, that we are declared righteous, not by our own righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness, that we are justified. And remember, our justification isn't on the merit of our own works. Our justification is rooted in faith in Jesus' works. Because we aren't saved by what we do or who we are, 
We're saved by who he is and what he has done. By the grace of God that Christ did the work that we could never do. So as we come to a close this morning, I would just encourage you to ask yourself this question. Do I trust in the finished work of Jesus? That since we are justified by faith in Christ and we, because we've been crucified with Christ and that we live in Christ, that if we live in Christ or into Christ, that we should now be trusting in his finished work. Not our own works, whatever we can bring, but trusting in his finished work. So I encourage you to ask yourself that question. Do I trust in the finished work of Jesus? Let's pray.